In our last podcast, the Australian preview, when Jesse made his prediction about Alpine top five and a Haas top 10, I said, what about Alphatari? I think they're going to make it into the top 10. And I was told I was stupid. He made it into the top 10, so <laughs> I'm not so stupid now. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Undercut Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Timo Elvis Daly, and as always, I'm joined by the Madge to my Herald, Jesse Billington, and the Susan to my Carl, Ellie May Taylor. How are you both? First of all, is that a Neighbours reference because we're in Australia? <laughs> it is. Ah, I'm glad I finally figured it out. And I'm doing well-ish. I cannot really feel my legs, but I did a half marathon on Sunday. And yeah, just paying the consequences for that one right now. Good. Ellie May, how are you? Surprisingly awake. It's, we'll take it. I think, I think this has to be the first podcast where I've said I'm not tired, but that's because I've had 11 hours sleep. The I irony think, of it being for the Australian Grand Prix. Well, the funny thing is, is for context, I had a very long day on Saturday, but being the hardcore fan I am. See, I, she's dedicated, Jesse. She gets it. Well, I am dedicated. So I set my alarm for 20 past four to get up and watched all the build up. At, at half four, uh, my alarm went off. I fell fell asleep through it all. Didn't wake up at all for my alarm until my dad came in and was like, are you getting up? And this was at like quarter to six. And I was like... At least it was still before the race start. It was still before the race, but I was convinced my alarm never went off. So I came downstairs and I was like, I don't know what happened. My alarm didn't go off. And my dad was like, yes, it did. It went on for ages. You just didn't wake up. <laughs> I mean, oh, like, I just sort of, I just woke up at quarter to six and just literally opened the laptop and stuck the race on. I was like, ah, this will be done in time for me to go and go and get ready for the half marathon. It was not, in fact. I ended up watching the final like lap, essentially stood in the car park of the stadium where we were starting the race from. I was like, it's cold. I'm watching something I should have really been watching in bed. I don't want to be here. Poor life choices, though. Unique life choices. I'm not going to say poor. I feel better for having done the half marathon. But again, you're going to hear me mention it a lot because it's that level of sort of smug endorphins that it, we it don't care anymore. Body. We're here for the Australian Grand Prix. We're just going to plow on with that. I think you want to talk about running, do a running podcast. Fine, I'll go and get. Who's the guest we usually have on? Is it Fraser that does a lot of running? No, Lawrence. Lawrence, that's it. I'll go and find Lawrence and we'll do a start a running podcast. You have fun with that. Anyway, we're back, of course, to try and make some sense of all the action from this weekend's Australian Grand Prix, plus some smattering of news and nonsense. And with that in mind, I am going to do a Jesse here and go off on a bit of one with the first bit of news. Well, actually, we actually, I'm going to do a you and completely interrupt everything for the first time. And Thanks because I know someone's got to do it, um, because technically this is Ellie May's anniversary of joining the podcast. She first joined the podcast. For... I was going to say this at the end. Yeah, it is. I didn't know. I didn't think anyone would remember. No, I remember because I care. Oh, and thanks. So, yeah, I thought I was like, hang on, I think it was about this time last year that yeah. we first had Ellie May on and I check, check, check notes. And sure, she enough, was a guest back then. She wasn't she probably was. there, was she? She, well, she was a guest that just sort of never left. Yeah, she did the Australian Grand <laughs> Prix review with us on the 10th of We April. liked her so much as a guest, we kept her around. Yeah, because then the next podcast recording after that simply has a footnote of also with Ellie May. And <laughs> <laughs> that was that, I think. She, she was there at that point. They were like, 
cool welcome to the podcast no, or at least this was the first time we had you on i don't yeah. according to the notes you weren't around for the imola preview or review i don't no. think no i was a guest for australia and then i filled in for timo for the miami preview mm. and then after that we had the marathon fine. review of miami with hazel and then that was it you were you were with us after that point yeah and you've stuck with us through thick and thin and we are we are glad to have you we're grateful we've indoctrinated her successfully <laughs> Anyway, now I've Timo Timo with an interruption. I'll let him continue. It's a fair enough interruption there. It's only made she's important. So, yes, FIA, because, you know, we can't go a race weekend without them doing something. Pit wall nonsense is how I've described this. They have announced that teams are now banned from celebrating on the pit wall following a Grand Prix. And I quote from their kind of rules and regulation stuff. It's forbidden to climb on pit wall debris fence at any time and refers to Appendix H, Article 2.3.2 of the FIA's International Sporting Code. Rules are enforced across the most categories sanctioned by the governing body. So part of the rule that covers this particular situation regarding climbing pit wall fences states that, again quoting, team personnel are only allowed in the pit lane immediately before they are required to work on a car and must withdraw as soon as the work is complete. It's forbidden for personnel to climb on pit wall debris fence at any time any action by a team breaching this ban will be reported to the stewards. Now, pitbull celebrations is something we've seen in Formula 1 for as long as I can remember, and having done a bit of a googly search earlier and checking everything, including random deaths that you see in Formula 1 that are slightly more on the bizarre side, not once has there ever been an instance that's come up as a result of someone falling off either side of the pit wall and going splat or being hit by a car or anything kind of on that side of things. So I'm kind of intrigued by that. And it's notable points related to this development as the Melbourne race is one where it's actually impossible for team personnel to get into the dangerous circumstances that the FIA are kind of expecting people to. And you could do that in Jeddah, which begs the question, why not maybe just fix Jeddah instead and the few other tracks apparently that aren't up to the same spec. And then you, there is no need for that and you can still kind of have pit wall celebrations. The debris fencing lining, most pit straights, again, most, meaning why is this not a basic thing that should just be included as part of what you do when you get to host an F1 race? I don't get why that's not a thing. At top of FIA, grade one certified track goes up vertically and then angles over tracks in an effort to stop any dropped or loose parts flicking up and flying into the pit lane. And this is mirrored on the opposite side of the track to protect fans in the grandstands. What Melbourne has is the pit lane is lined with thick glass panels to allow fans a better view of the action in the pit lane, which means that the, the footholds that are typically um, there, the metal debris fencing, are not present so no one can climb high. It kind of gives you a best of both. And you've got to think that with the bicycle nonsense from previous racing in Saudi Arabia do they just not have better things to be doing with their time There's, they've got much bigger issues and it just seems like nonsense again and maybe sort this stuff out 10 years from now when you've actually got nothing else to solve and you've fixed all your other bullshit problems um I don't cool. know. Is this your point one on the list, or is this enter Timo and this his speech? This is my speech? point one. No, no, okay, my, right. my speech okay. is later. Okay, good. Then I've still got a counter waiting for that one. But the, uh, is the biggest threat to Formula One Formula One itself? Arguably, yes. I think to a certain extent, 
its own success is possibly going to lead it down pathways that make it less attractive to certain groups of fans, but ultimately also more attractive to other groups of fans. This seems like a weird safety precaution they're taking. This and like Especially you when mentioned, nothing has ever happened. Uh, at the I Australian mean, the Grand Prix, you would think we did see a fella. Ex- yes, but that's not on the start finish straight. That's a different issue. And yeah. again, that's for we're talking about the start finish straight specifically here. Mm. Nothing else. So. And if that has ever been an accident there that maybe I missed because there is always that possibility, I'm betting it would probably be from early days where it was probably still a hay bale. I mean, you used to have a guy running out onto the start finish straight to wave the flag. And if you can get away with doing that without getting run over, then I don't see what the problem is with modern safety rules and equipment just celebrating as we have seen them do ever since any of us started watching Formula One. I guess yeah. it, it does... It does make the end of a race a bit flat, not seeing all the personnel and crew sort of cheering for whoever's gone onto the podium. I guess in some ways I kind of get it. I guess the barriers or fencing, they're not designed to have a load of people on them. So I guess they could fall. Just make them stronger. <sighs> that yeah, you've got then got to redesign fences. You've got to make sure that's enforced across all the Grade One listed circuits. And like you said, this Which is an they FIA need to check anyway because not all the tracks have it for some reason. Yep, and like you said, this is an FIA thing, so they've got to make sure that it's sort of contiguous across their entire range of sports at the FIA and I assume also FIM mandate so you've got to do that for everything as far as F123 obviously then obviously you've got your F1 Academy then obviously you've got all your endurance series that FIA moderated then also you've got FIM which is probably going to have the same rules so you've got your Moto 1, 2, 3 and Moto E to cover as well. Formula E also an FIA certified sport so you've got that to sort out and make sure that's got the right catch fencing even more important considering it's a street circuit where you've got people arguably even closer to the racing and just sort of physical proximity and the fact that you have that sort of catch fencing is the same catch fencing that goes all the way around the circuit and that still didn't stop someone getting their arm lacerated by a piece of broken hass from kevin magnuson i can understand the safety aspect of why they're doing it yes it's a bummer to not see that anymore but ultimately given the speeds that the cars are traveling the fact that more and more often we're seeing little bits of these cars coming off we're seeing the little sort of curved end section of the rear of the front wings sort of being broken off or end plates being broken off and often they're being sort of swept off the racing line due to the wind rush of the cars and generally will be left there someone will be meatball flagged if they've got a loose piece but if it doesn't get spotted in time that piece could just end up off the racing line there is a very real chance that would get picked up and flung at that catch fencing and while you don't generally at Which that moment in time... you're not likely to have on the start finish straight when you're coming over the finish line at the end of a race. No, they're not going to be that going that fast. So I can see why there's some sort of weird, why have you done that? The cars won't be going flat out there in enough speed to cause that aerial disruption. I don't know. It just seems an odd thing for them to try and target and do something about. Especially when they've got such a... A boatload of other problems that they yeah. should be dealing with. I'm not against them so doing it. It's annoying. Just, oh, it's it's a weird preemptive thing to do, especially when nothing has really happened before. And again, the Kevin Magnuson thing, fair enough, something needs to be done there. But again, that's not the start finish straight. So I still it's don't think it's not like they're all going up there. And, yes, but it's not on the start finish straight. And I'm like, upgrade the safety on the rest of it. Fine. 
and upgrade safety on the start finish straight. But my point is, you're not having those pit crew members celebrating on lap 23 going, oh, yeah, we love him, he's in first place, and then running back into the pits again. You get it specifically at the end when everyone's probably slowed down anyway, more or less, because they're not properly racing to the line for the most part because we haven't got races where that's a, an issue yet. That um, and the finish line is actually before the pit row starts, essentially. So generally speaking, you've crossed that line, you're already slowing down because you go into a yellow flag making zone. Making my point for me even more there, so yeah. So it's just a bit of a very odd thing, and I'm all for kind of making sure we're all safe, but it seems to be you've got bigger issues and bigger fish to fry here. Maybe sort some of those out first before you start dealing with this stuff, especially when nothing's happened. I guess it's better to preempt that something might happen than let it something bad happen, and then we complain that why didn't it happen sooner, I guess. And I guess... With the true, but we've managed to last for the last at least twenty years, just roughly off the top of my head, without anything happening. And I mean, yeah. I'm only saying twenty because that's as far back as I go. And I agree, it is a weird one that they've sort of clamped down on because we all like seeing it. But I guess we've got more street circuits coming up, which means all this fencing is temporary as well. So it's maybe benefit for the street circuits then, and then you have the glass paneling that Melbourne has for everywhere else. There's probably well, a logical reason. If there's going to be RC rules about around it, then you might as well try and meet some halfway point. There's, there's obviously some logic behind it, but the FI never wants to let anyone know what their logic is behind any decision they make. So the net result is they often end up coming across as a bit stupid or a bit out of touch so with the sports they're controlling. Reasoning, if you take somewhere like Austin, where, and I mean, again, it's just the obvious one that comes to mind here. You've got um, whoever's waving the checkered flag at the end there because, okay, they're a bit higher up in a box, but they're still leaning out and waving flags. So surely that's not allowed then anymore because if you crash it at high speed we're coming along there, then, ooh, danger. So we can't actually finish a race anymore. So you know, at what point do you say, no, enough is enough? I don't know. It's a, it's a tricky one to try and draw the line because most circuits have a point where the person waving the checkered flag actually has to lean out across the circuit and you exactly. see the physical waving checkered flag. By like, their own rules, they can't do that now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I guess it, it's a strange one and obviously the way that it's marshaled, it's, it's appropriately really done and thought out is going to be weird. I don't know. It's, it's another case of the FIA doing something but not doing it with enough clarity or distinction for anyone to see the logic behind what they've done and why they've done it and it's they've you can see vaguely what the intention is but the net result has been ultimately to a very critical crowd rather critical unsurprisingly and consistently naff is probably the the very short way of putting that it's an odd one but we've got some slightly better news early may because we've finally had a decision that actually makes sense. We do. Uh, Stefano Domenicali announced on Sky Sports just before uh, FP1 that next year F1, F1 Academy will be racing alongside F1. I think they're yet to start this year's season, but considering they have what, seven races this season with five being held at F1 circuits just on different weekends to the ones F1 will be using, I'm hoping it will at least be kind of this amount next year. For context, I think W Series were meant to have eight, before yeah. they fell into financial trouble. So hopefully F1 Academy will get the same or at least more. But I think this is a positive step. I mean, 
it's one that was needed in order to see F1 Academy be successful. And it also means F1 are looking into the future of this series. And it's not just going to run for a year and that be it. It would have been That's nice. That's the question of why it didn't happen this year, like yeah, like you say, because they knew about it enough in advance to say, oh, we could just shuffle. We've got races where F2 and F3 aren't, where we could fit them in. We could do it later in the season. It would still work. So it seems odd, but at least we get something out of it for next year. It is a positive i guess it's a net positive but again what it does is reminds people of the case of well, why don't you just do that from the beginning it was almost like they had their own doubts which i feel like we could do a lot of that going backwards with f1 academy w series and a lot of stuff with f1 like mm. why did you not just do this earlier you silly gooses just say it with your chest from the start um the third point we've got in our little sort of news notes section rather loops back to timo's opening point which was sort of safety around circuits and this one goes more towards the track invasion which is sort of a thing that now officially happens where you sort of everyone rushes onto track to catch the podium celebrations from track side uh the problem is because of the chaos that sort of wrapped up the australian grand prix that almost happened a lap early because we had the final lap of racing which was under the safety car um, and then people started to come out onto the circuit forgetting that the drivers would then have a cool down lap after the safety car lap to make their way largely back to the pits and the result was there were security teams and marshals literally trying to hold people back at marshalling points as they're trying to sort of rush through and get onto the circuit while cars are still expected to be circulating for essentially another lap at relatively high speeds. So, and this is this has led to the Australian Grand Prix promoters uh, being sort of sanctioned by the Formula One motorsport and um, being slapped with I a I do rule find breach. that a little bit laughable because I feel like they wouldn't have been put in that situation if the end of the race had been dealt with differently by F1 in the first place. So to try for them to try and put all the cop onto the GP promoters seems a little bit cheeky to me. Ultimately, the the sort of the buck stops with the people whose event it is, and in that instance you are the, the buck stops with the Australian Grand Prix promoters. They have paid I to host that, this event. But I don't think it's as black and white as that. I think that that extent, it certainly is as black and white as it is. Whereas when you sign a contract with Formula One that you're going to host a Formula One event, it's the same as hiring a children's party entertainer. If he turns out to be a drunken racist, that's on you for hiring the drunken racist. If And that's essentially the, the contract you signed. The buck at this point stops with the Australian Grand Prix promoters. They're the people that organise this event, that host this event. You just simply book Formula One as your entertainment for that event. And unfortunately, the buck stops with the people that booked Formula One. The, the fault there is not with the action you've booked. It is with the, the way you've organised how people will enjoy and respond to what you put on. If the race had been done slightly differently, one could argue that the fans would not have bothered trying to get onto the track until afterwards because they wouldn't have been confused as to when the race actually finished. Yes. But were they invading because they were confused or were they invading because they wanted to, you know, get to the... Well, generally, you, they want to get to you the don't podium. see... You, they want to get to the podium, but you never see that in other races where they decide, oh, there's a lap left, we better get onto the track now before it's all finished. Um, Italy last year when we finished under a safety car we literally didn't have that this is largely down to the confusion of that final lap and the fact yeah, that it's point. so tricky to tell when you're at a race quite when it's finished because there's so little communication in the stands you do not hear a damn thing unless you're sat opposite a screen you do not know so this comes down to something the... F1 and the promoter should work together towards more being transparent on that in the future than have more stuff around the place to actually show when stuff is properly finished and yes okay you could say part of that is down to the promoter of the individual Grand Prix but at the same time 
F1, I feel like they could be at least making that suggestion a bit sooner rather than waiting for something like this to happen. It's mutually beneficial for everyone to be on the same page for that. Mm. Ultimately, the, the buck still stops with the Australian Grand Prix promoter. It's down to them to make sure it's done properly. Interestingly, the fella who organises it is retiring after the, uh, retired after this Grand Prix. It's a new person that will be mm. in charge of it as the sort of managing director of the Australian Grand Prix. So it'll be interesting to see if any changes are made coming into 2024, whether we see anything new happen there, and in, largely in response to what we've seen this weekend. Um, so that'll be interesting, but again, the track invasion being too early, I think that largely does stem from something we'll ultimately t- get around to touching on, the confusion at the end of the Grand Prix and the way it was handled, though ultimately, I will have some interesting things to say on that that might fly in the face of what you were anticipating. So we'll get to that in due course. Um, the next point on our list is one fella had his arm lacerated by a piece of flying debris after Kevin Magnussen's very strange crash where he sort of stuck it against the barrier at turn three, I think it was, and um, sort of scuttled along the track and bits of his car went everywhere. Uh, one bloke had his arm cut by it. No, Between nothing major. Yeah, nothing major wrong with his arm. There's literally a sort of gash down his forearm. Um, he w- didn't get to keep the piece, though, uh, which was annoying. It was stolen off of him by another Australian Grand Prix fan. But Aussie Grand Prix fans seem to misbehave quite significantly afterwards. There was a lot of things confiscated from them as they tried to leave the paddock, as far as including one of the light panels. Insert politically incorrect Australian joke here. <laughs> yeah, they're all criminals, right? Um, but... Uh, when you're invited to an event or you pay to come along to an event, you don't start stealing things from the place. I can just about understand the idea of taking a bit of track hoarding, or like I did, I took some tyre marble from Monza, but you don't steal a fixture and so, fitting so from the circuit. Not, so if you didn't steal that, then? It's tyre marble. At that point, it's, it's <laughs> detritus. It's like picking up a blade of grass from a football One man crashes another man's gold, that kind of thing. <sighs> Yeah, it, it's obviously worth something to a Formula One fan. Yeah, it's a tire marble from the the Citadel of Speed. It's Monza, but that's different to thievery. stealing. It's different to stealing a minor light panel thievery. from very minor thievery, especially in comparison to stealing a light panel from the side of the circuit. Not an advertising hoarding, a wired-in light panel that's used to communicate safety cars, red flags, and blue flags. A to be large... fair, I wouldn't steal that either. I'd steal something proper. Uh, yeah, you'd take something that's a bit easier to try and sneak out as well, as opposed to simply walking up to the security gates on the way out and going, did you bring that light panel with you from home? Yes. Yes. So mm, that's yes. going to be interesting. But the, the knock-on effects this sort of behavior could have with future track invasions, not only the lack of safety that this year's one triggered, but also the essentially the, well, the blatant fair, that is that, that solves an earlier problem about the, the, the start-finish rate, because then you just burn fans completely and then they're not in any danger of any flying debris and then everyone's safe and no team person ever allowed at the track whatsoever the car just has to be perfect as it is on the friday no one's allowed to touch it the driver's not allowed in the car and we're all good i think that's taking it possibly at least two steps too far but the argument is that what it could do is bad fan behavior uh from here onwards could look at changing the way that fans are treated on race weekends and ultimately, at the moment that while they are treated as cash cows, they can't go to a certain point where they're seen to be sort of damaging the reputation of the sport and equally the circuits that it visits. Otherwise, people are going to be less and less likely to want to host a Grand Prix if they know that every year they've got to repopulate the entire circuit with light bars and stuff. That's it. It's going to have detrimental effects ultimately to the way the sport is perceived by people that want to be looking at hosting it. I think, yeah, it kind of really. 
it also comes down to the fans behaving as a fan should not doing what they're doing like stealing light fittings or as a case of no one turned up to Lewis Hamilton's um in like the Park Ferme bit because they were all worried about security breach in the Mercedes garage and I think there were also marshals huddled around Nico Hulkenberg's car because they were worried that people were going to try and steal things from that and it's kind of like that isn't needed on a Formula One weekend just have fun and behave correctly again it's this lack of clarity for a lot of things that just puts and again not the lack of clarity on just don't steal shit and don't be a dick that's fair enough obviously that should be common sense but I think the rest of the combination of that and then the lack of clarity on other things like you say with the Mercedes crew not being sure what they can and can't do it just confusion for everything and it's kind of hard to be in their moment then and enjoy themselves as they should do as a team and as the fans have paid for to be there it's it's a very strange one, and I hope that it doesn't begin to negatively a lot of that impact at the, the sport. And we'll, we'll see what happens. But interestingly, this whole sort of stealing things off of cars that have been had sort of parked inside of the circuit or recovered from the track, it happened at, I want to say, the 24 hours of Daytona. Someone was caught literally ripping the front end off of a car that had been sort of removed by the marshals and parked up at the side of the track. That, at least that's a ballsy kind of thief over thievery there. I, I kind of... I respect that to an extent because at least you tried something proper there and you didn't just take a light fitting. Yeah, you, I you ripped the front end of a car. Yeah. Mm, I can sort of admire the aspiration to it, but ultimately, at the end of the day, that's probably that bit of the car wasn't. It's still damaged, wrong. I will say that. Certainly. Yeah. So it's a very strange. It was one. afterwards. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Because all of a sudden the team's going to now buy an entirely new front bumper diffuser and sort of air I'll, down. I'll send is... it back to you. <laughs> yeah. Just. Buy a cap from the stall. I know they're expensive, but it's better to have that than be done for crimes. Um, anyway, we'll move on to the final piece of sort of news, as it were, before we get on to the race. And this is actually looking ahead to the Azerbaijan weekend coming up. And obviously, we know we've got the sprint being hosted at Azerbaijan. And what we want for this is actually is we want your opinions. We want you to hit us up uh, in the DMs, on the socials, comment on the YouTube, or even on the Spotify. I'll make sure I've got the comments open on this Spotify episode when it goes out. And I want you to let us know what you think about the new, or possibly new, I don't think it's been completely ratified yet, the new sprint setup for the weekend to come. And this is only happening in Azerbaijan. They're sort of doing a one-off test with it. Friday, we'll see an FP1 session followed by qualifying. And this will determine Sunday's Grand Prix starting order. Saturday will then host sprint qualifying and the sprint race. So they'll have a separate qualifying session for the sprint in itself and then the sprint race. And then Sunday will have the Grand Prix, which of course will have had its order determined by the qualifying on the Friday. So we want you to get in touch with your thoughts on this one, your theories, your ideas and opinions. So again, hit us up across the social medias, the DMs, comments sections on YouTube and Spotify. We want to know what you think and we'll do our best to include anyone who gets in touch on the next podcast. My initial thought is I love it because that means I can just skip Saturday. I don't need to bother with that and I can just watch an hour on Friday and then come back on Sunday and have a nice bit of my weekend back. Jobs are good. Well, I mean, ultimately, the sprint race still contributes to the overall standings of the season. Eh, just going to watch highlights. Won't bother. Mm, could be interesting. I guess in some respects, it means that maybe we'll get more racing in the sprint because drivers, I mean, they're still going to have to be careful with because um, they know that they've got a race the next day, but they might be a bit more ballsy to try and get some points. 
you're not going to be losing out places in the main event, as it were, if you yeah. really go for an absolute send. I, I still think what they should have done if they want to have a sprint format is just look at the feeder series. You've got a perfectly good sprint and future race uh, format there. Why muck about with that? Just copy and paste it. That works brilliantly for those two. At least try that out for F1 before mucking about with it if you're going to go down that avenue. But Timo, that would be too sensible. And we've established long ago on this podcast that Formula yes, One the FIA isn't more going to do this. I'm getting more annoyed at the moment with these people. So, <laughs> Yep, well, take that out on them in your own social media feeds. For the rest of the time, though, we want to hear your opinions on the matter. So I feel do. free to get in touch. Um, we'll move on, though, to the race, which by and large was quite sensible right up until the final the final sort of five laps or so when it all of a sudden went a bit peak tong so we had russell pole with verstappen starting p2 and hamilton p3 yeah, russell, russell pole did we verstappen pole russell p2 and hamilton p3 it has been a long busy day and i'm quite tired um so interesting qualifying first of all with the mercedes showing a fair lick of speed something they managed to carry over into the race um, but ultimately the podium by the end of the race was verstappen p1 hamilton p2 and alonso in his now commonplace p3 uh, we did however see three standing starts uh or through the race which uh, ties us with the saudi arabian grand prix in 2021 the tuscan grand prix in 2020 held at mugello uh the spa Grand Prix in 1990 and of course the Austrian Grand Prix in 1987 for a few little statistics so it was all a, all a bit chaotic everything made perfect sense right up until the final quarter barely and then it all went a bit awry. That, that is where I will enter the chat again because like you say it does all make sense and the weird thing here Jesse is that I do agree with you to a point and that is that the regulations you can argue were correctly interpreted. But I'm just gonna I'm gonna do my spiel and then I will let you come in and do the thing. So I'm just gonna get it all out of my system. So we're gonna start with the first red flag because I was just having a little look at this. So what happened basically for just a quick refresh, Alex Albon spun out at turn six, touched the barriers a bit and spilled gravel onto the track had a red flag then for gravel with some arguing that you can't have cars at high speed going through there with gravel on the track, which sure. But as Button said in commentary on Sky, you're not going 140 miles per hour under a safety car. So I don't understand why there's a red flag. You just slow down for the incident. The safety car can slow down and they can sweep the gravel when the cars aren't going past the incident. Like we've done many times in the past where we've had similar kind of things. It damaged a lot of people's races, and there was a strategy called that a lot of people made that they thought was right. It was strange, but you could understand the safety car aspect of it as well. And Martin Brundle also then said after the race that he thought when Alex Albon went off, they could perhaps have used a safety car and swept the gravel up and cleared the car away. So I'm not convinced that, that was red flag worthy and ultimately bugging a few people's races. I'm not going to include Russell in that because his car probably still would have gone boom and that would have been him done. But for other people, we're not sure what that would have done then because, again, you had this free pit stop, essentially, then, which counted as your tyre change. And then everyone wasn't really pushing for the majority of the race because they just wanted to see if they could get to the end of it, which does beg the question, should we allow pit stops to happen in red flag conditions but not have them count as... The, the change from one compound to the other that the race requires because otherwise it could make the race a little bit more dull whereas if you need to make sure everyone does another pit stop when the racing resumes that would then potentially make it more interesting we would have perhaps seen the Hamilton Alonso battle that we all wanted instead of just a little bit of push and shove but 
Red Flag 2 came out, then crashed, coming out of turn two with the wheel coming off, as we mentioned, and his car going to the wall. Red Flag again. More understandable, but I will say that earlier the same day in Formula 2, Roy Nassani and Enzo Fittipaldi did crash at the same spot, and that wasn't Red Flag with Martian vehicles on track to clean everything up. So it was curious that you had one rule for that and another and a different one for Formula 1 there. And Verstappen was then on the record saying it's quite clear. I just didn't understand why we needed a red flag. I think you could have had a safety car and a normal rolling start. Then afterwards, you wouldn't have had all these shunts, and then you have a normal finish. So he was saying the race directors created problems themselves at the end of the day. He understands why the drivers have wrecked in a negative way, because we've never seen red flags for this before. And again, it doesn't seem strictly necessary. It's possibly you get the red flag because it was so close to the end of the race. But at the same time, are you there for the safety or are you there for the entertainment purposes? And it should always be for the safety. Lando Norris and obviously was also saying in the second half, and especially with four left to go, I feel like you ruin a lot of things by doing this. Don't feel like it's fair for people who've done a good job and then they get taken out just because of something that is completely out of their control. You come all the way to Australia, you have a lot of work to do and you drive 56, 55 lap perfectly. And because they try to put on a show, you just get unlucky and everything gets taken away from you all of a sudden. And this is the guy that benefited from this quite heavily and got eight points, I think, from, from this. Um, so I just think this side of it just needs, needs a small rethink. And for me, it screams a bit of manufactured entertainment. There was an Instagram post by F1 after the race saying it was box office entertainment. And I think that was a little bit telling there. All sport is entertainment, but not all entertainment is sport. And Formula One could do with remembering that. The Magella restart that you mentioned earlier, Jesse, comes to mind there because I feel like that should have been a standing start there, not a rolling start. And the crashing that we got there could have been avoided. It was the opposite case here, especially with two hours to go. Cold tyres as well. It was just asking for trouble. And Baku will literally be drive to survive if they're going to live up to this entertainment side of things. Because not only have you this sprint format there where of all the places to do it, you've got a track that, aside from last year, has a history of being absolute carnage without needing any help from that. So doubling the chances are interesting let's say that and while it can be argued like you probably will in a minute that the stewards etc correctly interpret the rules it leaves a bad taste in your mouth and as Lander says those higher up try and put in a show ruin the race for numerous drivers who did absolutely nothing wrong up to that point if you want more interesting racing make the car smaller and get the closer overtaking translate into actual overtaking and if everyone wants to become WWE then fine just tell us so that those of us who don't care for that kind of thing can go off and follow some real sport so I think that, yes, everything was done to the book, but just because you can do something one way doesn't mean you should. Jesse, go for it. Okay, because I didn't actually know what you are going to say. I just sort of assumed that what you're going to say is going to be quite controversial and ultimately antipathy into what I was thinking. But what you've actually said is, by and large, the route I was thinking down. And well, I've spoiled your party immediately then. <laughs> you have to a certain extent. I do think that we had this sort of over-exuberance when it came to waving red flags, although I can see why the marshals, race directors would have obviously been pushing for red flags in some of these instances. Yes, we were looking at a track where tyres seem to be getting quite cold quite quickly, especially later on in the day with the sun setting, the track surface losing temperature. We saw that certainly on the final restart, just how cold those tyres got all of a sudden. This is because the safety car really has a very physical limit as to what it can do around that track. Um, simply a speed that's untenable for the F1 cars to keep any heat in its tyres. That's why we see these cold tyre restarts. But 
when it comes to actually waving the red flag, I think on a street circuit with closely encapsulated walls and you've got vehicles coming onto the track to recover stricken F1 cars, in the furore that followed the Japanese Grand Prix, I can understand why maybe Formula One was a bit more sort of happy-go-lucky with chucking out its red flags and really going All I will say it. to that then is the counter I already put in there is why did they not do that for Formula 2? You had the big trucks and cranes and people all out on the track on the exact same bit of the circuit and yet the safety car was just moosing on by with all the cars perfectly going behind it. It seems curious that on the same day, mere hours before this happens, you have as close to the same thing as you can have and you just decide, nah, it's F2. We don't need to do a red flag for that. But for F1... Oh, yes. And that, and again, this incident in Formula 2, that was about 10 laps or less so before the end of the race as well. So it's very similar circumstances. I think possibly with F2, then it's more of a shortfall of F2, which has different um, race directors and different sort of marsh shooting teams. So all of a sudden, their shortfall there lies with more with the Formula 2 side of things than with Formula 1. I can understand very much with the safety aspect why Formula One did what it did and why the race happened the way it did. My question when it comes to following the rules was more with the restart for that very final lap behind the safety car. It was a very by-the-letter following of the rule book, though it's not particularly exciting and quite ultimately disappointing because we'd have seen a very unique finishing order. Um, well, that's something yeah. I wanted to say, and it smacks of, okay, we're going to have a two-lap shootout oh dear, carnage immediately, excellent. But also then we have this excellent result on paper as Ellie Mae was so wishing to come true with the Hulk P4. And let's face it, everyone else was hoping for that as well because we're, we're human. What did you achieve here? It's kind of very the end of burn-off reading. What did we learn? I'm not entirely sure. I mean, but we... let's not do it again. I mean, I'll wrap up my piece on it and I'll let Ellie Mae speak because what we achieved was a very by-the-book play of things, which I think is exactly what we need in a sport that for, since... Oh, since 2021 has been sort of rattled by this idea of oh you can just sort of make up different rules on the fly to make things more interesting and this sort of weird idea that someone somewhere in an office just goes ah oh, we'll do it this way because it'll be interesting and that's not how sport goes you do not see that in any other sport where they go I see what you've done there it's interesting we'll let it slide or I think it'd be more interesting if we played this certain rule a slightly different way that you would have to infer from the way it's written I think obviously the rule book for Formula One has been gone over with a fine tooth comb pretty much after every race since Abu Dhabi 2021. I keep going back to it, but people have gone over every single rule every time it comes up and goes, no, that needs to be made clearer. No, we cannot leave a grey area there. And I think ultimately that is for the benefit of the sports, makes it easier to understand and follow if you've got rules that have no grey area or room for interpretation. So when it comes to restarting this grid, where you've had not all the cars go through the certain points, the sort of defined marshalling points and the discerned sort of micro sectors that they use, it makes sense to simply go back to the last point in time where you have a definable measure of what order the cars were in, what their places were. And that was it makes sense, the start. But it... I don't think it's something that should have been done in the first place. And instead, I mean, again, I know this is a different form of racing that I'm going to say into, and then I will throw it at me. I will not <laughs> neglect you, don't worry. Um, but IndyCar was at the Texas Motor Speedway on Sunday as well. They finished under yellow flags after, I think, Grosjean, typical Grosjean, he crashed just before the end. Yeah, I know, but it's still classic Grosjean. Um, ah, go for it. Grosjean and crashing, generally. Um, work with me here. It's a general, general thing. And 
you've got an oval race there. They already moved the time up for the race because they knew that rain was coming and they didn't want to have, they knew they wouldn't be able to do an oval race in, in the rain and they finished under yellows because it wouldn't have been doable to just have a red flag and then do that kind of F1 kind of thing. Because again, can you imagine the chaos that would have happened on an oval in, with that many IndyCars still going around the place? So I just find it curious that... The Americans who are all about the showmanship and the the entertainment side of things. For me, they did a better job of sorting their stuff out this weekend than Formula One did when it came to having that combination of health and safety, good sport, and the good sport being the entertainment, not the entertainment being the sport. Yeah. Or confusing one for the other. <sighs> they Ellie May. <laughs> yeah, Ellie May go for it. I've said my piece. It they follow the rules, job done. Ellie May. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was kind of going down a similar line. I think your first point with Albon and that red flag, I think, first of all, I think the red flag is fair because not only is, you know, a tractor coming out to collect the car or whatever, you're having marshals on the track sweeping all this, all the gravel back into the gravel trap. And to have as many marshals as they did on track to get it done as quickly as possible, I think it's fair enough why they did the red flag. And then in terms of then what Timo was saying in terms of the tyre changes during the red flags, I have questioned it myself. Of It does seem unfair if, you know, a car, some cars have already pitted and changed their tyres and now they're losing out because teams can now change their tyres and that's essentially a free pit stop but you've got to think it's probably down to safety I think Karun was saying that he's gone over gravel before and it's punctured his tyres so from a safety perspective those tyres need to be changed and you can't really tell a team you can and can't it, I just, it has in to which case it. change them under that but just don't have that counters being the the mandatory switch from one compound to the other that you would need for a Grand Prix. Change it for safety for all intents and purposes, but then just make sure that they go back in later and have that as make that clear to them. That way you can cover both ways off there. But then you can't guarantee that a team will have the tyre allocation available to them to then go back and change the tyres. Have F1 and the FIA and the stewards or whoever be in charge of that have an extra special set of tyres for everyone for just such an eventuality. It's planned out then and hey, if we never need to use them, perfect, but at least we got them. I don't I don't, I don't, think that would work. I mean, even just down to, I guess, environmentally, because that's more... Because F1 are doing such a great job of that already. <laughs> I know, but um, anyway, then going off on the last red flag with Kevin Magnussen, I guess they were, whether it should have been a red flag or not, I guess they were damned if they do, damned if they don't, because... When Danny Rick, um, car, Monza, yes, yeah, pulled over Monza, to the side. Yeah, did he pull over to the side with engine failure? I'm trying to think what happened. Yeah, he pulled over to the side. Failure. It was the start finish straight, and then no, it yeah. was the back straight coming. Yeah, out not of... start finish straight. No, I was just saying straight. There we go. Well, yeah. just before parabolic. Yeah. So then it finished under a yellow flag because they couldn't get his car out. Um, off the track in time, that would have inevitably happened at this track if they had just done a yellow flag and safety car because they wouldn't have had time. Which ultimately got the same result for a lot of people, especially the podium, that wouldn't have been altered if they'd done that this time around. But 
when they did that at Monza, people went mad at them saying that should have been a red flag. So now they've done a red flag and people have now said, that well, that is a thing of that should be the FIA and the stewards putting their foot down saying, well, you can have your opinion, but we're going to stick to our guns because we're the people in charge here. You're not. We decided yellow flag and safety car finish. That's what we're going to do. You don't like it. Write a petition and we'll think about it, but we're not going to. Nothing was ever put in writing after that. So again, yeah, damn if you damn if you don't. You're let if you're the people in charge of the Grand Prix, the FIA, the stewards, you're letting other people dictate what you can and can't do. Again, if we go back to 2021, it's very much Christian and Toto on the radio telling Michael Massey what to do, and then Michael Massey getting the shit for it, which, okay, a little bit does go towards him, but it shouldn't be anywhere near as much as it as it was, because, again, if you've got that much pressure on you, you're ultimately going to be compromised on whatever decision you want. You're going to make everyone happy, whereas if you just take a stance and put your foot down and say, no, in this case, like we say for Australia on this weekend, just gone, Safety car, yellow flag, jobs are good. And yeah, okay, it's a shame that we have, we can't go racing the last two laps, but that's the way it is. Deal with it. I just, yeah, it's tricky. You, I mean, I see both sides of it. It's, I think the FIA were just kind of between a rock and a hard place in, in terms of themselves. What they did. And as well, I guess whatever they did, someone was going to be unhappy with it, including the teams they were going to be, someone was probably going to be unhappy no matter the situation, so. To be fair, un- there's always at least one team unhappy about something after every race, so you might as well be consistent and firm in your stance and not let the teams and the fans dictate to you something on health and safety and then risk ruining like they did with Alpine. You have Alpine who had a tremendous weekend up to that point and it's all ruined because the FIA and Stewart just decided to be whimsy and decide oh we'll do one thing for Monza we'll change it for this but then next time this happens it'll be interesting to see what they do again and why have they when which one they go for and why they decide on the option that they do and we're all probably going to have to sit down and have this conversation again and we're going to be like well what what did we learn here absolutely nothing apparently I do feel sorry for Alpine and we know how much I hate that livery but even I was feeling bad seeing those two sink, sad pink cars by the side of the track and like they they worked their ass off. I think but... the prob- the problem is is that red flags tend to breed red, all flags. red flags. Exactly. Mugello again being another prime example of that. Yeah. And the the way to look at it is if we had the Kevin Magnuson incident, which was un- un- unavoidable essentially in that circumstance, and we simply yellow flagged it and safety card it all the way to the end of the race, we would have had a finishing order of Verstappen, Hamilton, Alonso, Sainz. Gasly, Stroll, and then you've got Perez, Norris, Hulkenberg, and Ocon making up the top 10. So you'd have had an interesting-ish top 10. I don't think anyone would have been upset by that. We've got a different person on the podium. We've got Haas and both Alpines in the top 10. We've got both Aston Martins up there. It's a decent enough race. The only person that really sucks for is Oscar Piastri, who doesn't score points on his home Grand Prix. Uh, Joe in 12th. Sonoda in 13th, Bottas in 14th, Sargent in 15th, and De Vries in 16th. And that rounds out your runners at that point. And yeah, it, you'd have still had an interesting enough race result that wouldn't have upset too many people. But in the end, we sort of gambled it for essentially lap 56 and lap 57, and then eventually lap 58, where we sort of saw it out to the bitter end. And, and, and crucially, it going up, especially after Saudi Arabia you don't have a podium that's going to be contested for hours after the race. That would still have been the same 
regardless of what happened in before the red before red flag two, after red flag three, before um it got reinstated, and then the final result, the podium was still the same throughout. So even if there had been a bit, if because as annoying as it would be to see maybe say P four be demoted to P six or whatever, generally we're less fussed about that because that's out of sight and out of mind. Whereas if it's the podium, the thing we look forward to for the end of the race and the celebrations there, and then to see Russell getting that and then Alonso getting that back, you're like, do I enjoy this? Do I not? And you don't need that again. So in this instance, there was no risk of that. But hey, I feel Mm. like we could go on about this for quite a while. We shall move on to winners and spinners. I mean, you mentioned that. (laughs) Before before we move on to winners and spinners, I will mention the science thing. Which is, I do think he was unfairly was punished bullshit. for that five second, that five second penalty for tapping Alonso. It's an what? Well, race an, one racing incident. Yeah, lap, race one, lap, lap one, one turn incident. one racing incident on dead cold tires that have done nothing for a little mm. while, and then one solitary slow lap to the grid behind the safety car. They're not going to be anywhere near warm. It's a miracle. Like, like I said at the top far. of this episode, the the stewards they they seem to like to top themselves in all the wrong places race after race and this one is just taking the biscuit and the fact of the matter is that was it um sergeant wiped out de Vries going into yeah. turn one and they received no penalty for that at all oh yeah for a far bigger accident whereas science was simply a case of he was sort of boxed and in, both of them were like facing racing incidents yeah both of them were clearly racing incidents but science was penalized for his way more aggressively than really should have been done and something that ultimately would have been because it, under a normal race a five second penalty doesn't make a huge amount of difference if there'd been the rest of the race left to run fair enough a lap one turn one instant you could probably drop a five second penalty on it that's enough to drop you back one place but because everyone came through behind mm, him in the safety car it ruins your race it completely ruins your race and something that w- would have been hugely important to science's standings in the championship my very, very, very last point before I throw to Ellie May for her winner is that there have been 83 red flags in Formula 1 history and we had three of them yesterday. Mm. We've had a majority of them in the last few years. I've never known so had a good many. Had a good few. And the most amusing one to me, I can't remember which year it was, it was either 1990 or 1997. I think the latter. The reason a race was red flagged and restarted, the most pathetic of reasons, aside from some of the ones from yesterday, Joss Verstappen stalled on the starting grid. <laughs> so mm. they restart, so they red flagged and restarted. I thought, of course he did. Anyway, Ellie What May, circuit was that, though, where Joss Verstappen I'm, stalled? I'm not 100% sure of the I want to say Italy, but don't quote me. Because mm. it depends how easy it is to recover the car immediately. But that does mean we've seen 3.6% of all red flags ever in one race. So. Yes. Ellie May, your winner for this weekend, if there is one. Me. Because despite all that bloody chaos, true, isn't it? Despite all that chaos, pretty much all my predictions were correct. But this podcast isn't, you know, just about me. <laughs> so my actual winners are on your anniversary. <laughs> on my anniversary, yeah. But my actual winners are Nico Hulkenberg and Yuki Sonoda. So starting with Nico Hulkenberg, these past three race weekends, Hulkenberg has shown some really strong qualifying performances, and especially at Australia, where he was consistently clear of getting into the next qualifying stage. His struggle has always been the actual race itself, which was partly down to the fact that Haas don't have a great race performance at the moment, and that I think where he's been out of racing consistently for a while, he kind of needs to get back into his groove. His weakest point 
starts have always been his race starts. That's why he, he loses out the most. But this race, he kind of he he maintained his position at the start and stayed within the points pretty much the entire time, even after the chaos ended, um, and finished nicely in seventh. And then Yuki Tsunoda, he didn't do too badly in qualifying. He got twelfth, which, as much as it pains me to say, that is the worst car on the grid. So it's twelfth isn't that bad. Um, it's kind of like how we were celebrating a Williams getting into Q2, like in 2020. Um, throughout the race, he stayed in the lower end of the points until about halfway through the race, where he had to start nursing an issue on his car, but he almost had to constantly battle with someone trying to overtake him. And in the last lap chaos, he could have easily been caught in the carnage, but he actually got a really good start off the line and avoided all the mess around him to get up to fifth. I think it's a shame for him that he couldn't keep that as he was kind of deserving of it, but he still got 10th, he still gets a point, and in our last podcast for the Australian preview, when Jesse made his prediction about an Alpine top 5 and a Haas top 10, I said, what about AlphaTauri? I think they're going to make it into the top 10, and I was told I was stupid. He made it into the top 10, so <laughs> I'm not so stupid now. <laughs> I said it was a bold call to think that AlphaTauri would be up there, but yeah. I mean, at one point, my wild prediction of a uh, Alpine in the top five and a Haas in the top ten was running really true. If, if so we unlucky. recall, if we go back to the preview, I did say to you, I'm pretty sure, why not a Haas in the top five as well? And we had that for a brief moment. I don't think it's in the script, but I think if we go back and listen, I'm mm. pretty sure I said that. And oh, for a second there, I could for have, a I could have been a kingmaker for you. It could have been. I don't think the Haas would have finished in the top five, but certainly Gasly would have Hulkenberg been Hulkenberg was P4 for a sweet, sweet moment that uh, our good and friend the Haas chap was very much brutalised about. <laughs> if Sainz had got his penalty, we would have had a Hulkenberg podium. Yep. Would have done. Would have, should have, could have. I don't know. It's a whole wild world. But Timo, your winner from the weekend. There's only one choice for me, and thank God that I could find an easy person to choose here because otherwise it would have been tricky sorting through the rest of all that. But Lewis Hamilton, because as weird as it is for P2 to be excellent for him, it was a pretty stonking drive and didn't succumb to Alonso's um, just Alonso-ness, I guess, is the only way to describe it. He's a verb now. Um yeah, really solid weekend for Mercedes. It's a shame for Russell, obviously, with the PU problem. Only a second retirement with Mercedes. Interesting that we have a PU problem this early on, but that's a separate issue for another time. We've got a month to discuss that. Um, but Hamilton, yeah, solid qualifying, solid race, and yeah, kind of shows why even when you've got a slightly duff car, you can still do pretty decently with it and it'd be interesting to see what changes you have made to that car between the last couple of races to get there and how much of that redesign is going to still come or how track specific it was i don't think mercedes have made too big a change on it possibly this is george russell playing it down but he was caught in the interview pen asked about this and he said the change we've made to it have been absolutely minor they, uh, they won't have been the ones the change that you've seen sort of make this time difference that's if anything us getting more used to the car and this circuit being a lot more favorable to the mercedes than uh, the two circuits we've seen previously so this isn't the start of the mercedes renaissance but it does mean there are good things on the horizon that there is some good in this chassis that they might be able to unearth um yourself 
Me, uh, I'm going to call myself a winner for this one because, as I may have already mentioned, ran a half marathon at the weekend. Uh, no one myself... gives a shit. That's got nothing to do with the Grand Prix. Get back to the racing. Set myself a target of two hours. Came home in one fifty nine, one minute forty nine. So really happy with no that one. No one cares. No one cares. I care. I care. And uh, my... no one else does. Ellie May, you were about to say something. She well doesn't care. She cares. She says, "Well done." See, um... she's polite. I'm not. Yeah, that, you can say that again. Um, but <laughs> uh, but uh, my winner from the race, though, for me, it's going to be Perez, actually. Um, he didn't have Despite a good a shit weekend. <laughs> really, really torrid Friday and Saturday, but properly came back into it with the race. I think there was, there was, his car was suffering from a few sort of gearbox issues that were snatching down changes and he was struggling to fight it on the brakes. But once he sort of got the bit between his teeth for Sunday, he drove phenomenally. And he does just, like a race from the back. He loves a race from the back. He loves a sort of street circuit style location, which, oh, pardon me, Albert Park really is. And yeah, we saw a sort of top tier level Perez performance from that one. So it was nice to see him prove that it's not just Max that can do the Red Bull drive from down the field sort of thing. And yeah, definitely earned the points that he accrued. I would like to have seen him made his way further up, but I don't think the final stages of the race were conducive to those sort of last few overtakes but even when you look at the rate that other drivers were making their way through the field against cars that were arguably a lot slower Perez was making those moves a lot easier you look at the fact that he and Ocon were chasing their way through the field Perez even though he's in a Red Bull was really ripping through them and yeah you can have a good car but you've got to also have the driving now to be able to overtake around a track where despite all the drs zones there are in reality still only two or three big overtaking chances and he was making passes in places where those overtaking chances usually are he was looking at moves through turn 13 and you're thinking okay you've got your confidence back in that car and you're flying and that we love to see as a Perez fan we'll keep it with you then for a second oh go on eddie may i was just gonna say i think that's the main one of the main points is that Perez got his confidence back because he could have easily lost it after what happened in qualifying and not having trust in the car when braking. Mm. So it was good to see that he could get back into form then in the race. Yeah, worked over things with his team, found out what the mechanical problems were, worked over things with his trainer and then come into the race with a really positive and aggressive mindset. And that's the sort of thing you want to see if you're you're backing a driver to make a championship challenge. I don't think he's going to get the championship, but he's going to make Max Verstappen really goddamn fight for it this year. So hey, we'll see. We'll what keep it with next. you for a minute, though, Jesse. Who is your spinner for the weekend? Uh, on the notes, I've left this blank, and that's simply because I cannot think of a driver who actually had a bad weekend. Possibly Bottas, but I don't know. It, it Alex Albon. Uh, no, he okay. suffered such such promise, and then got nerfed off. We're going for the race, not for the weekend. Across the, for the race, I, uh, I I have to be pushed to say Alpine because both your drivers wiping each other out like that in such weird circumstances. But I again, Gasly sort of had nowhere to go. Was sort of end up blindsiding his way into Ocon. Ocon had nowhere to go in that instance. It wasn't really a case of the fact Gasly would have had no clue he was there in that sort of gaggle of cars coming through the tight opening sector, it's not particularly their fault. It's just bad luck. And I don't want to penalise someone for bad luck in the same way that F1 penalised Carlos Sainz. Like, even down to, you, I'd go, oh, you could just sort of slam one on um, Logan Sargent. Locked up on cold brakes going to turn one off a safety car sort of standing start re- thing. Like, that's, that's easily done, especially if you're a rookie in what is your third race in ultimately a not very good car. That's 
perfectly easily done and as much as we love to tear into the likes of Nicholas Latifi for doing that sort of thing Sargent's proved he's a bit better than that so again just rookie error I don't feel that's worth slamming the guy for so yeah I don't have an overall spinner from this weekend or this race I'm afraid complete sort of nil point from me on that regard Talking of nil point Ellie May your spinner the fan who travelled 11,000 kilometres to see Leclerc and he was out at turn three. I mean, she had a, I don't know where she was. It's a little bit funny though. <laughs> I don't know where she was on the track. I'm hoping before turn three. <laughs> like a little, um, like. Yeah, a little cardboard sign, cardboard wasn't it? I'm saying that. Um, but I'll go with Leclerc. I mean, he was nowhere really this whole weekend. He didn't really have a, the greatest of qualifying sessions. Um, whether that was because Ferrari put him out too late so he couldn't warm up the tyres very well. But again, he was out the first few corners because uh, he got hit by Stroll, but Stroll had nowhere to go. It was it was a race. It, it is very weird being on Stroll's like defensive side and all three of us, I think, are probably defending him this weekend that it was just one of those things. And you all know that we'd happily take that chance, but it genuinely wasn't his fault. <laughs> it, yeah, and for, as... For Ferrari, it's just pain. And I'm not even going to mention the other side of the garage. No, that's fair enough. I'll move on. For me, Formula One, for all the reasons I've said earlier, are my spinners. But I also want to do a special spinning mention to Jacob Phillips, friend of the podcast, who is definitely a spinner this weekend. Because despite intensive planning to sleep strategically and stay up and do a couple of four-nighters to watch the F2 and the F3. He buggered it for himself completely before Indore had even started and ended up playing catch-up on everything and didn't even have the excuse of running around a stadium for whatever reason to kind of justify it. I'm going to call him out on the podcast, as I said I would to him, and say, you silly goose, plan better for next year. Calling him out well, on the, the podcast episode he's supposed to have been on as well. I looked at the yes, notes a second yes. ago. Why is he not here? <laughs> I do not know. Because I know he listens to this, so he's he's going to get Put it in, in the comments, Jacob. Comment on this YouTube video. Yeah, or Spotify. He does, or he gets in touch with us on Twitter, which you can do. You can get in touch with the podcast on Twitter. Um, Jacob, let us know why you're not here. Slacking. Shame. Ellie May, though, you wanted to mention a certain incredible superhero driver who was also worth a mention for you. He's already my winner. I don't know who actually put uh, other drivers worth a mention because uh, they put Hulk for the qualifying per- performance. I just added my beautiful man in general. I thought I'd just I... give you another chance to plug the guy. Well, we'll always plug Hulkenberg. I've also realised I'm really struggling to speak with Invisalign. So <laughs> apologies. Do you want to talk about McLaren then, Jesse and Saber? Invisalign, not a sponsor of this podcast. Um, <laughs> yet. Yet. There's time. Um, Can I've... they be pleased? Because I've got 18 months of me having sort of slurry speech where I can't speak very well with it. Stop so. saying bad things about them. We want them to sponsor the podcast. Have you still got payments <laughs> this is, to make this is, it? This is how, this is how yeah. it happens. We oh, diss well, them yeah. now. They sponsor us later, so they stop us from saying bad things and we'll say good things. I still I have about 1,500 1, to pay. I think that's a fairly average amount of sponsorship. So if they could sort of just give Timo and I some money as well, um, hmm. I'm wait, I, I'm happy to plug Invisalign. I've already had my teeth straightened. <laughs> Timo, do you need yours doing? No, but you know, I'll wear them just to see what it's like. I'll happily for, for for more sponsorship money. I will do that. Invisalign, so... hit us up. The email will be in the description below. Um, 
what are we on to now? Other other yeah, other drivers worth a mention. Uh, Lando Norris gets uh, comes home P eight and scores his first points in Formula One. So eight and one is eighty one. His driver number. Nice little uh, sort of joining up the dots there for him. And obviously Norris as well also scores points. So they're uh, off the off the on the board now. Uh, McLaren as a team, decent little haul of points again. They all did the way up to P five in the constructors after one race. It's quite really amusing. big jump. We'll get to that in constructors countdown shortly. But yeah, they've lucked out big time. But again. It's one of those things you've got to be there and make your own luck in Formula One, especially when the race is exactly like this. So uh, good for in, them. In other kind of point scoring, it didn't go too well for two of us. And it went very well for one of us, as we've alluded to already. Jesse, you and I scored a point apiece this week in our predictions review. Jesse, for your pole position prediction and me for banging in Alonso with another P3 finish, which... Uh, I would have happily sacrificed for science to get on the podium, but there we go. Eddie Bean may meanwhile would be burned as a witch if we were in the different century for these predictions. So she cleans up with pole correctly, getting P1, P3, fastest lap, and her wild prediction, which just the less is said, the better there for Jesse and I's sake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ellie May thought we were being harsh by set when we did did the maths to figure out that her safety car had to come out in the first third of the race and I rounded it down I to I think this is gonna laps. this is not gonna help her because we're gonna be more harsh in future and say no you've got to be properly wild with stuff now because we're gonna be brutal. Well the thing is is you did question me on whether that could be my wild prediction. So my other mm. wild prediction would have been the Alphataria top ten and they still got it anyway. So I still would have got the point. Yeah, yes, but we would have felt a bit more notes. vindicated by it. So <laughs> mm. The worst thing was I completely shot myself in the foot by making very plain that I'm only awarding whole marks for this because I could have at least sort of just about jimmied myself a half point for Haas top 10, but I also needed the Alpine top five. So no points for me on that one either. Um, yeah, I think overall standings for this one, Ellie May is now on nine, Timo's on five and I'm on two. So I'm having an absolute <laughs> stinker of a season so you, far. You are you are keeping up with being Ferrari, aren't you? I, yeah, I'm really... From last year, if it was me as Mercedes, you as Ferrari, Ellie May as Red Bull, we're all very much sticking to our guns. I've embodied the Ferrari spirit with my predictions and gone, gone big and gone home completely pointless. If it helps, it's not just F1 predictions that I'm good at doing. Uh, the can other you do day, lottery tickets? I was going to say, why are you not winning lottery for us? And then we well, can fund dad, the podcast a bit more. My dad did try that after we were waiting for the train back home at London Paddington, which has 12 platforms, I think. And I said, which platform do you think we'll be on? And he was like, oh, maybe, maybe four, three, I don't know. And I was like, I'm going to go for five. And we were on five. So maybe I am just just like Do they not just have you know you've been listening to Ellie May's anecdote corner <laughs> it may just well no because when I've gone to London Paddington almost every month since October and they have all been on different platforms so I think it is completely random given that it's great western rail I would also assume that it's fairly random oh, western rail get in touch and sponsor the podcast <laughs> That's about as smooth a segue as we can have, Jesse, for your Constructors Countdown. Yes, it's time for Constructors Countdown. 
pointless week sees Williams tumble from 8th to 10th with two DNFs in Albert Park. Alpha Tauri now with a solitary point latch onto 9th place while Alfa Romeo dropped to P8 despite a haul of points. Haas gamely cling on to 7th while a fruitless race for Alpine sees them drop to 6th. McLaren now out of the starting blocks rocket up to 5th, the big climber this week. Ferrari hold on to 4th despite leaving Melbourne with nothing to show for their efforts. Aston Martin pull away from Mercedes, the customer team now 9 points ahead of their power unit supplier, 65 points over 56 and in the lead extending their gap again, Red Bull with 123 points. So that rounds out the Constructors Countdown, but it's time to look at some different standings and those of our Fantasy League. And my mate from uni, Dan, took the win this week with 339 points. He had both Red Bull drivers and both Aston Martins in there, as well as both teams as Constructors, bolstering his score. Perez, I think, was the highest scoring driver of the weekend because you get points for overtakes as well. So he did very nicely there indeed however when it comes to the podcast teams daddy's cash scored a tidy 181 points pushing it up an overall position to 21st uh, my neck mike crack didn't have as good a week as saudi 24th this week with 137 points giving it a drop to 22nd overall down one place from last week and please subscribe remember please subscribe uh, coming home 28th this week with over 100 points though it doesn't improve overall staying in 33rd place out of 33 teams ellie may's emt racing scored a tidy 273 this week nabbing her ninth in the aussie standings but she is usurped by my mid beds racing who scored 324 points mbr's total of 805 now beating emt's 801 one overall. Ellie May's second team, Experiment Underdog, scored just 87 points this week. <laughs> Coming, yeah, not strong, uh, but I'm not one to talk. Going home 29th, better than last week, but overall it retains its 32nd place in the standings. And Timo's Nitro RX podcast team bested its Saudi result with a P21 this week, 152 points to its name, and sees the team move up to P24, up from P29. Meanwhile, on the curbs, nets 190 points, equal to my goal girlfriends to shave or not to shave team both tying for a 14th place this week uh, with on the curves retaining its p16 overall from last week Lastly, my teams, we've already covered Midbeds Racing, my highest scoring team. Jaffa Cake Racing didn't do too badly, snaffling 206 points this week in P13, bolstering its overall position to P11. Uh, but not a good week for BRT Yamaha scoring. Who just... the hell did you have in this team? BRT Yamaha, which scored 14 points, the lowest of all entrants this week, which sees the team down in 31st overall. I can go and Did have a Did you forget to have any drivers? Um, I, would, I, I had mine. drivers. I had drivers. BRT Yamaha. I had Charles Leclerc, <laughs> George, George Russell, <laughs> Esteban Ocon, <laughs> Valtteri Bottas, and Fernando Alonso, with my team constructors being Ferrari and Alpine. <laughs> Oh. Let's see. I can't remember if I had like a bonus put on them as well. Let's see. It didn't I bloody work, did it? <laughs> oh, I did. Yeah. Um, on who? Charles Leclerc was my doubler. So he scored <laughs> minus 50. Double minus. Doubled points. to minus 30. It's a miracle I actually scored both like positive points there. At oh, least dear. my experiment underdog is the five worst drivers and the two worst teams. Mm. You have no excuse. <laughs> 
any other race weekend, that's a pretty sound pick of Leclerc, Russell, Ocon, and Alonso. You say that, but we've got Baku up next, so that doesn't guarantee anything. <laughs> I don't know, man. I might might have to make some chopping and changing there. Um, Mitchell K, Team 2, sees the biggest drop this week of nine places, while Francisco Rhodes 1 uh, goes up 8 from 25 to P17. So it's a busy week in the uh, fantasy standings there. So all Truly, truly there. shocking. Truly shocking indeed from some of us and uh, amazing from others. Um, ama- amazing in both senses of the word there. I think we are just in awe of, of many things from that. But there we go. That is all we have time for on this week's episode. It's been quite a roller coaster. Join us again soon when we'll be reviewing the feeder series action from down under. So make sure you've liked, subscribed, and got notifications turned on to not miss anything. But in the meantime, Miss Ellie Mae Taylor, where can the people find you in the meantime if they want to? You can find me co running the pod's Instagram page and running our TikTok account. Jesse Billington, where can the people find you? Uh, I can be found on Instagram and Twitter as at Jesse on cars. Uh, you can also find the podcast on Twitter as well. And if you want more from me, you can find me writing for Classic Car Weekly and possibly this weekend heading up to Donington for the Masters race weekend up there. I think Ellie May, you're planning on coming with me as well. So we've got two days of classic racing action up there. I think Craig from when we hosted the pub quiz back in December is also heading up to that as well. So be the is first It'd be the first time I've seen him in a sober state as well, which would be quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Timo, where can the people find you? You can find me over on Is It First, the Nitrox podcast, Paddock Authority Instagram, and on the curves where I just have an interview out with Clara Anderson from Extremely there. So do go and check that out. In the meantime, thank you all very much for listening. You've been a pleasure to talk to and for listening to all of us ramble on for quite as long as we have for this episode. And as always, thank you very much, and we'll see you again soon.